everybody, and welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. We are coming to you today from our home base, an Elevation Hotel, located here in Mount Crested Butte, Colorado, and you are here today with Kara Williard. You can check out everything else we are doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Well, for today's episode, I am bringing you another installation of our series, A Very Deep Dive on Boot Fitting, and this one is all about ski boot flex. So I am joined by Bryn Vickers, who is the bootfitter and manager of Pulse Boot Lab in Revelstoke, which is one of our highly reputable blister recommended shops. For today's episode, Bryn and I dive into the complex and often misunderstood aspects of ski boot flex. We discuss why the ankle joint is the most important piece of that equation, what exactly boot flex even means, especially when it comes to performance, the many variables that determine what flex might work best for you. We also discuss options for both stiffening and softening boots, and we also get to talk about Pulse's latest technology, including the updates they recently made to their foam-injected aftermarket liners and more. This episode of Gear 30 is brought to you by Pulse Boot Lab, and you'll hear today why Pulse is an operation of knowledgeable and impressive bootfitters that are also backed with some pretty impressive tools and technology. Pulse Boot Lab's primary goal is for you to love your boots. They take a comprehensive and data-driven approach to make sure you are in the right boot, including using their proprietary foot scanning technology to help deliver the best boot and liner solution for you. They have locations in Revelstoke, Banff, and Collingwood, where they are based out of Little Ed's Ski and Bike Shop. And so you can work with Pulse to help solve your boot problems this season. Head over to their website to learn more and book an appointment at pulsebootlab.com. And also worth mentioning, Pulse offers 10% off custom footbeds to our Blister Plus members. And you can head over to our website to find all the current deals that Blister Plus members receive. And with that, let's get right into my conversation all about Bootflex with Bryn Vickers. Here we go. All right. Well, I am here today with Bryn from Pulse Boot Lab. Bryn, I understand this is your first time on Gear 30 and we are super excited to have you. Um, so thanks for being here and maybe just start by giving us a bit of a update on how the season has been going up in Revelstoke. Well, thanks, Kara. I'm excited to be here too. We've had a funny season in Revelstoke. Um, there has not been as much snow as usual. What we've kind of been talking about, though, like I used to live in the Rockies and ski Sunshine Village, Lake Louise area. And honestly, the amount of snow we've had feels more like a season over there. And I've had pow days. I've had a lot of fun. We've had a lot of fun on groomers. Not as many big pow days as we're used to. So a lot of people are complaining. But honestly, it's not that bad. Like, it's pretty fun out there. Yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> that's how I mean this year is actually a bit above average for us um but like compared to last year we've had far fewer pow days and even then I'm like you guys there's so much good skiing to be had out there it's you know it doesn't always have to be soft and fresh for it to be yeah, really totally. fun and enjoyable just ski what's in front of you put two pieces of wood on your feet and slide around on snow <laughs> yeah yep that's what we're here for sweet well Bryn I'm excited to tackle today's conversation with you I think it's an important one um this is the next installation of our very deep dive on boot fitting series. And I'm really excited to have this conversation with you because it's, I think, a very misunderstood and kind of complex aspect of boot fitting. And that is how to think about boot flex. Um, so, you know, you're a boot fitter, you're hands on every day in the store, helping people navigate this question. 
And I think we'll just start from sort of the foundation. And so if you want to give a bit of an overview um, as far as maybe how the body moves and how that sort of influences the ski flex discussion, we'll start there. Yeah, absolutely. So flex in the ski boot relates to how your ankle can bend within it, how it's supported, what kind of resistance and rebound it has. But for us, when we start talking about that, we like to take a step backwards and think of how you actually stand on your skis, how you absorb terrain and how you move around. Because you bend at the ankle, but you also bend at the knees and the waist. And through the three of those, you stay centered or slightly forward or slightly back on your skis as you move around. Now, if we go to the extreme and you do not have this ability to bend at the ankles, one of the rules in boot fitting is that if you can't move somewhere, your body's going to find somewhere else to move. So like if your foot overpronates and gets blocked in the side of the shell, then you're going to get pain on the side of your foot because your foot's going to try to move out there. Similar things happen when you bend your ankles, where if you can't bend your ankles, you're still going to bend at the knees, you're still going to bend at the waist, and suddenly you're sitting on your tails. So I really like mogul skiing, so I'll use that as the best example. When we want to absorb a bump, we bend at all these joints, and then we open them up again as we stand. In doing that action, if we hit our first bump, you bend at the knees and the waist, but you don't bend at the ankle, then you're in the back seat. You cannot recover easily from that position. By the time you hit your second bump, you're toast. So being able to bend is more important than anything else. Uh, for us, we also balance that out because boots obviously have a cuff for a reason. If you picture it not being there at all, and suddenly you're going mock Chanel down the hill, and you don't have any kind of support helping you manage these forces that are coming along, uh, that's really difficult and asking a lot of your body in a very unnatural scenario. So we want something that allows us to bend, but we also want something that allows us to push power into our tips, that allows us to recover from different terrain and stuff and help augment what our muscles can already do. That makes sense. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. And I think just kind of drawing it out to that very like basic um, premise of what are we really trying to do here? Um, and that's just kind of achieve this balanced position where our joints are able to bend and absorb terrain. And I know we've talked about this on previous episodes, but let's just stick on this point a bit more because I still find myself talking about the ankle joint all the time. Anytime I'm helping someone with boot fitting, um, you know, it's like, well, like, have we assessed our ankle joint range of motion and how does that translate to the overall fit? And so maybe just break that down a bit more, Bryn, and talk about ankle dorsiflexion and how it relates to what we're talking about here. Yeah, absolutely. So our ability to bend our ankle inside the ski boot is going to be determined by two simple things. And it's going to be the ski boot and how it's limiting you. Uh, but then also your own body. Um, a lot of people spend their days sitting at a desk, feet in front of you, toes pointed down, which is kind of the opposite of what we're doing, even in our starting position in a ski boot, especially if we start moving from that position. Um, if you think of people who are walking around in high heels or spending a lot of their lives just in the opposite of this ski position, a lot of people suddenly aren't built to as easily get into these like spots in their ankle mobility that they would need to when they're skiing. Uh, so one of the things that gets missed by a lot of boot fitters and skiers as they're trying things out and they're thinking about flex and they're having these issues in their ski boots uh, actually becomes is your body able to make these movements easily? We start looking at people's ankle range of motion. There's actually quite a few people where it's limited. And that might be something skeletal, like I broke my foot 
five or six years ago, I've got a little chunk of bone that's stopping my right ankle from moving as far forward as it used to. Or it might just be that all my muscles and tendons are really tight because they're not used to going into those positions. This also becomes a crossover between boot fitters and physiotherapists, where there are actually a lot of people where I will try to accommodate something in a ski boot, uh, but it's worth seeing professionals who can see how you can increase your range of motion sometimes as well. I'll, I'll link that into things. Uh, getting a little off track from the start there, but from a boot fitting perspective, before we actually worry about how the ski boot fits, we want to look at how the foot is able to flex already on its own. There's lots of ways to do that. There's a lot of people who become a little bit elitist and say the only way to do that is with a lateral column dorsiflexion test. And they'll start comparing how much flexibility your foot has when your leg is straight and when your leg is bent, whether it's muscular or skeletal or whatnot. Uh, honestly, I think the boot fitting world could benefit hugely just from simply having people stand on a platform in front of you, bend their knees and watch what happens. How does their foot pronate and move? How far forward over their knee? Or how far forward can they get their knee over their toe before their heel is lifting off of the ground? And if you can't do that standing, then you're going to have a hard time in a ski boot. So that's where we say, hey, maybe you can work on this on your own. I will send them to physios and say, hey, this life could be a little bit better in general. In a ski boot, we're going to look at where their range of motion needs to go while they're skiing, how far forward they need to nip bend their knee. And then heel lifts become a really important topic for some people, where if I need your knee to get say an inch or two in front of your toe, but your heel has to lift up for that to happen. Well, then sometimes what it's easiest to do is stick a heel lift in there, bring the ground up to where your heel needs to be, and then you can keep it planted. You can keep your weight even on the front and back of your foot and move through the range of motion that you need to. Yeah, I think that paints a really good picture for people. And I mean, we're really just trying to match the angle of the ankle joint to the angle of the ski boot in a way that doesn't require this sort of like compensation like you've been talking about. Whether that's the heel coming off the ground or maybe just you're now out of balance when it comes to that fore aft position and you find your, you know, butt going back, things like that. These red flags that um, are really, you know, maybe simple when you're evaluating them on the boot fitting bench and you're just looking at someone, you know, bend their ankle and see what happens. Um, but then obviously we probably see people out on the hill all the time that could benefit from these really small but very important um, adjustments when it comes to being in their boots. Oh, yeah, I get it. A bit of a pet peeve when you get usually more junior instructors or people who are trying to teach their families how to ski and just yelling at people to get out of the back seat, get forward on your skis, get forward, get, get forward. forward. <laughs> like, they can't. Like, sometimes they physically can't. It's not their fault. <laughs> See a boot fitter. Let's make life easier. Yep. I think that's such an important point. And um, yeah, just I don't think it can be overstated how important, you know, ankle joint range of motion is to skiing and being in your ski boots. Is there anything else you want to mention, um, maybe ankle joint and how it affects sort of thinking about boot flex or maybe what people should be thinking about when it comes to, I don't know, maybe some of what they're experiencing and fit factors that are really lacking um, because they have limited you know, ankle dorsiflexion? Sure. Well, I I mean, the ski movement, what we talked about with skiing moguls and staying out of the back seat is a big, really obvious one for us. There's a lot of other things that happen when your foot can't bend in the way that it needs to. Uh, so for instance, toe bang can sometimes be really related. Just simply, I can't get forward in my shin. Something still wants to go forward in my foot, so maybe it's my toes and I start hitting. Uh, people who are getting excessive heel lift, even though they have a super tight boot fit. Well, you're trying to move. If you can't move in one direction, maybe your heel's going to lift up so that 
you can get forward in another way. Uh, Shinbang is another one that's really related. Sometimes uh, instep pressure and pain, or very often, a really common one is just simply pain in the forefoot, where your ankle hasn't been able to bend far enough for you to keep weight on your heel. So constantly, you're actually skiing on your toes a little bit and pressuring your forefoot and not your foot evenly. Yeah, I think that's one that's really uh, easy to give people to you know consider is like, do you feel like you have equalized pressure between the ball and the heel of your foot? And if you don't, then there's probably something going on there as far as your ankle joint range of motion, potentially. Yeah, exactly. And in your ski turn, you're going to move a little bit forward to a little bit back, but you want to have that ability to pressure where you need to on your feet. Well, I think, um, you know, we've talked tackled somewhat ankle joint range of motion. There's always a lot more that can be said there. Um, but now let's, you know, take it to the next step and think about more broadly um, how the body moves and then also maybe how insoles play a part into this. And then from there, we'll kind of start breaking down the factors of ski boot flex and, you know, the variables at hand with ski boot flex. Sure. Uh, so with insoles being a big one where we're huge on custom footbeds, I'm a big believer that pretty much everyone in the world should have a custom footbed. And I've had a, you know, in over a decade of boot fitting, I have had a handful of people that I could not make a custom insole work for. And I've talked to some of the best boot fitters in the world who have the same thing. And every once in a while, you just get someone it doesn't work for. And one of my personal searches is just continuing to learn different ways to accommodate those people. As every boot fitter, we're always learning and trying to improve. And I think trying to learn how to make the better insole is huge because there are, there are a lot of really terrible ones out there that we see. Unfortunately, we replace a lot of custom insoles that haven't been made to the standard that we would like to see. So if we think of a foot in a ski boot, and we're never locked inside of a ski boot. There's this idea that I want my foot to be locked. I don't want my arch to collapse, I want to stay in exactly the same position, when we actually need a little bit of flexibility in what we do. Uh, we see a huge number of people whose feet do overpronate, their ankles roll in too far, their feet evert and go into these funny positions that do not do very well in crazy plastic cages on your feet. Um, so I do want to see things that support your foot, especially just in front of your heel, if I can get your ankle centered in the middle of those two walls of plastic that are on either side, but allow you just a little bit of flexibility within that so that you can feel what's going on underneath so that your muscles can make tiny little adjustments to, to balance, then that is great. If I don't have the support from underneath, trying to tie back to the ankle range of motion, maybe not in the most linear way, but if something can't move somewhere, it's got to give somewhere else. Um, so a lot of people, when they're trying to bend your ankle, forward if they're not bending the ankle properly they don't have support underneath your feet it can actually cause them to overpronate more and a foot that looks like it's relatively centered but quite flexible and overpronates sometimes you'll start getting issues with that you'll get navicular pain you'll get pain on the outside of your fifth toes and uh, your forefoot and start getting issues as your foot tries to find flexibility wherever it can so finding a good stable foundation for the boot or for the foot to bend from is going to be really huge for us. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's totally. And I think you've, I mean, you've just mentioned like, here's like, if you're overpronating inside this rigid plastic 
shell, that's going to cause all these, you know, issues around comfort. Like, oh, your medial malleolus, your ankle bone is smacking the inside. Um, you know, maybe you have the void under the arch um, that's causing excess movement inside this rigid plastic environment. And that's just not going to feel good after several hours of skiing. I think just to further this point, though, maybe then talk about how this would translate to like standing on your skis and what issues it causes when it comes to actual like performance on your skis. When we translate all of this on snow, skiing being a super dynamic sport, your body's moving in all sorts of really interesting ways. Um, and at high speeds and with a lot of force coming at you. Um, so for me, flex is all about how you compensate all those forces coming at you and how you turn and are mobile within it. So if we go back to picturing that ski boot, that footbed keeping you centered inside of that ski boot, you having the right mobility for you to be centered kind of fore and aft on your ski becomes a really great athletic position to make movements from. Uh, we can equally get onto our inside edge, onto our outside edge. We can move back and forth. We can angulate in our turns. We can open up our hips. We can drive forward. Uh, if we're missing some of that, then maybe sometimes we'll start seeing where people are A-framing their legs, right? It's really hard to keep equal angles on both. If we end up skiing really far back seat because we're having trouble getting forward, then that's when we're going to see people start burning their quad muscles really hard and not equally using all of your muscles, basically. Not having the same kind of mobility within your turn as you should otherwise, because suddenly you're having to tense and hold on for dear life when your boots aren't helping you do that work for you. Yeah, I think that's helpful. So we've talked about ankle joint range of motion. Um, we've talked about insoles. And now let's just zoom out a bit and talk about like what really is flex. And I think you've kind of already hit on it is that like we need to be in a supportive environment, but we also need mobility um, in order to be dynamic and to be able to like absorb terrain and things like that. Um, so I guess just in a broad sense, before we start talking about some of the things that contribute to the right boot flex for someone, what, how do you think about boot flex? Uh, I think of boot flex in terms of, yeah, basically what we've talked about, that freedom to move already, but the support it gives you forward. And I like thinking about the rebound that it's giving back up. I'm driving energy into this boot. What is the energy that it's driving back? If we think of our turn at the bottom of our turn, we flex really hard, we release to transition and get into our next turn. Um, when that release point happens, am I going to have to physically stand up on my own, get myself over, and then bend forward? Or do I have a boot that's going to work kind of as a spring almost? That's going to help build up force at the bottom of my turn, help me pop out of it and get into the next turn. Now, for every person, there's going to be a balance of what the best amount of rebound and flex is for you. And if you picture your beginner skier, they're not generally moving super fast. Uh, so they're dealing with less force on their body. So I like really focusing on someone who's got a low flex, really flexible boot that you can move around easily. And the same goes for kids as well. While they're developing skiing, learning to find your balance on the middle. Um, as much as I say, I really love the boot to help um, in a training and learning sense, having a bit less of that and less of relying on the boot uh, can be important as well. Uh, as boot fitters, it's also a fun balance trying to figure out someone who's coming into the sport or who is at less of a level than 
where they want to progress to and finding the balance within that. So we're lucky in Revelstoke. We get a lot of friends who end up coming every year for a season or two uh, from like places all over the world where maybe they've skied a week a year. Maybe they've never skied at all and trying to find them equipment and then watching them progress on the mountain as we start them with a boot that they are able to ski and learn with. But when they start exploring more of the mountain, when they start skiing more aggressively, a boot is still keeping up with them, is still supporting them in the ways that they need, that they can drive and still get a high level of performance. Ideally, in this balance of a boot that they were still able to learn and progress on. Yeah, thinking of the longevity there. Um, and I think in a bit here, we'll maybe talk about like some of those indicators that, you know, maybe someone's in a boot that's too stiff or a boot that's too soft. But before we do that, let's just talk about some of these variables that contribute to finding the right boot flex for someone. Um, we've just really, you know, drawn out some of the importance of ankle joint range of motion and making sure your boot fitter is assessing your ankle dorsiflexion. Like that is such a foundational piece to this entire equation. And if someone's not doing that, then that's, you know, possibly a red flag that like you should maybe be hitting up Bryn at Pulse and going somewhere else. But let's talk about some of the other factors because, you know, I worked as a boot fitter for over 10 years and it's really easy for people just to be like, oh, I'm a, you know, blank level skier. So what boot flex should I be in? And unfortunately, it's not that straightforward. Like if you're this level of skier, you don't just need to be in this, uh, you know, a 120 to a 130, so on and so forth. There's other factors that could contribute to that. Um, so let's just dive into a couple of those. Bryn, where do you want to start? Yeah, well, I think the very starting point is something that a lot of people know well, uh, which is simply that that flex number means very little outside of the model of boot that you're in. Um, and I say the model of boot, not even the brand of boot. Um, for instance, if you look at Atomic, they've got a boot that's called the Hawks Ultra or the Hawks Ultra S or whatever the acronym is. That's their Alpine boot. Um, it's pretty wicked resort boot, uh, that flexes well. It's nice and stiff. They've got another boot called the Hawks Ultra XTD. They're one that has a walk mode and it flexes very differently. Um, and I'd love to talk a bit on walking boots versus resort boots and how that affects flex, but it gets confusing for people when they're looking at this Hawks Ultra S130, this Hawks Ultra XTD 130, and the XTD is actually way softer than the S. They're very different boots, even within the same family and one that has almost the same name. Every brand's going to be... Yeah, and I think it's a fair a fair point to draw. And one that we talk about a lot at Blister just being that, like, you know, there is always going to be a compromise when you decide to ski a boot with a walk mode, particularly in resort. Um, So it's like really where, you know, what compromises you're willing to make if you're looking for that one boot quiver knowing that a fixed cuff alpine boot is always going to ski a bit differently than a boot that's has a walk mode in it. And I think that's an, an important point to make because those boots are both called 130, but that doesn't mean that they have the exact same flex profile. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if we can touch on that a little bit, then in the, the deep dive side of it, um, I always encourage people to take their liners out of their boots to open them up and kind of see how they actually work. Um, so most of the boots that we have are four buckle, two-piece boots. Uh, when you're flexing into that, most of the strength and power of that boot's actually coming through the spine. Uh, the buckles and the power strap are connecting you to the spine. Most of the energy is down there. And if you follow where the energy goes as you flex, it's kind of down the spine. And then at almost 45 degree angles, 
towards the arch. That's where all the strength is coming from. If you're looking at alpine boots, then when you look at that spine on the inside of the clog, you'll see that it actually goes up a lot higher um, and has something that the cuff can press against, build up energy, usually something that's bolted to it as well. As soon as we create a boot that you can walk in, uh, they have to break that top part of the clog. Uh, so you'll see a little horseshoe shape that's cut into there. And the deal is, when you're walking, everything's opened up and you bend that cuff forward, the cuff needs to be able to come forward. So it actually needs the clog to bend a little bit in the back in order to give you range of motion. Um, and being able to move forward when you walk, turns out, is really important. Um, a little pet peeve to touch on is all these marketing companies uh, who talk about the range of motion in hybrid boots and in touring boots. And honestly, I don't care how far my leg can go backwards. I'm not throwing my foot three feet in front of me when I walk. What I really care is how far I can bend my ankle and come forward. So in order to be able to do that, we have to make this accommodation in the clog, which means that the boot's not able to build up as much energy. It's not able to give you the same rebound when it comes back to a ski application. Yeah, I think it's um, helpful for people to have something to think on there as far as, um, you know, again, it's a compromise. And if that's the boot that you need, that's understandable. And there's, um, you know, ways that companies have gone about figuring this out to a point where you're not completely uh, giving up on the downhill performance, but that it is going to be a different experience than something that is fixed cuff um, two-piece boot that doesn't have a walk mode, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. And to be fair, I pick on walk mode boots for skiing there. We have a lot of phenomenal athletes who purely ski in hybrid boots and do incredible things. And if I'm being nitpicky, I think you can get better performance out of a boot that is resort dedicated for this reason. I think it'll flex better and ski better. And there's a reason nobody on the World Cup ever has a walk mode in their boot. For most people, you're still going to have a blast in something that has a walk mode. It's just figuring out where your priorities are, as you said, Kara. And working around that. Yeah. Um, and so before we talk maybe a bit more about like some of the sort of individual things that stack up to find the right flex of boot for someone, um, do you also maybe just want to touch a bit on like differences among boots and how, um, and I know we've talked about this a lot at Blister, how, you know, the, the boot flex rating system is not standardized in any way. And so that's just another sort of, uh, you know, piece that we have to take into account when we're comparing two 120 flex boots or um you know whatever it may be maybe just touch on that a bit so people can think about how these numbers are in some ways a bit arbitrary uh, totally so shape of the boot even the way the boot is shaped to your feet uh, are going to be huge factors within it um so i'm a really big nordic fan i think they make amazing boots i really like them the pro machine's awesome, and that's my daily driver if I go up to the resort. Um, it's a narrow boot. So if I go back to thinking of where the strength of this boot is and where it flexes, going down the spine, and then coming kind of towards where my arch is, pro machine's quite a narrow boot. So it's really easy for that energy to go directly from the spine down the walls of the clog, and it's quite a stiff boot. Um, speed machine. When you look at it, they've got a lot more reinforcement in that ankle area, uh, pretty much exactly where you're watching where those strength lines go. And it's because the speed machine's a little bit 
wider of a boot, you need to reinforce it more, or you're going to lose some of the energy inside of that. As you flex into it, you'll start watching the clog of the boot bow out a little bit um, as it tries to deal with all of these forces. So as the boot gets wider, it tends to naturally get a bit softer. If you get into the sport machine, which is their widest model, again, lately they've started reinforcing that more and more, but it's really difficult to keep a boot as stiff as you start changing all these shapes. Um, a few years ago, custom shells started getting really popular as well. Uh, the idea that you can heat mold the shell of the boot and it'll become the shape of your foot, uh, which for some people is an incredible game-changing thing. Um, and honestly, I got really into it for a couple of years and then stopped doing it, except in very certain cases, because as we watched the shapes change, one of the things that we noticed was that the boots only get bigger. The other thing that we noticed was that as the boots got bigger after we would do these shell molds, we'd also see the flex start changing dramatically and getting mainly just softer across the board and sometimes really unevenly between both of the feet. Uh, so that's even in yeah. the same boot. It's just been altered. Your point here is also to say like how a less precise or improperly fit ski boot is also going to flex differently than something that is appropriately fit to your foot. So if you have too much space in a boot, that's going to also greatly affect the way you're able to flex that boot and thus the way the boot responds um, to the input you're putting in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And just picturing how your ankle lines up inside of that boot would be a big part of that fit one as well. Um, in back to my thing of taking the liner out of the boot and seeing how it works. Um, everyone who's been to a boot fitter has had a shell check. Um, and that's the first way that we look at how a foot is going to fit within a boot. Mm -hmm. um, stick your foot in that shell. And I'd even say start looking at how those buckles are done up and what the boot does when you buckle it up a certain way. We uh, see a lot of people in boots that are way too big for them. I think that's pretty common across the industry. And then you'll always hear boot fitters say how on the instep buckles, you don't need to go very tight. Just tight enough to close the boot, not tight enough to tighten. For anyone who's questioning this on themselves, I'll encourage them to throw their foot in the shell um, and then start closing whatever closure system you have, whether it's BOA or buckles, because we're going to talk about both nowadays. And doing that up as tight as you can, you can see how the clog deforms and you'll watch it start creeping towards your shin at an angle boots do really funny things when they get tightened too much and it creates these shapes where it actually becomes a lot harder for the boot to flex in there we see a lot of shin bang from people whose foot just isn't fitting properly it's not working with the boot instead it's coming up against some wall within the boot yeah well i mean we've just kind of gone over the differences among boots and even how fit can impact um flex of a boot and i think that's all very important now I'm just going to maybe throw a couple of factors at you and you can just maybe talk through them for people um, and get them thinking about how these different factors play into boot flex. So the first being would be like height, weight, and strength and how those kind of play, um, interplay with each other and affect boot flex. Totally. So how much leverage you have against that boot and how you're going to be able to bend it would be huge. I'll start with your own ability to bend in those ways. We see a lot of uh, beginner skiers who that action of bending at the ankle, driving your knee forward, but somehow keeping your weight even on your foot isn't very natural. Uh, so teaching people that motion is sometimes something we do with beginners right off the bat before we even have them in a boot and trying to flex it. The heavier you are, 
the stronger you are, the more your ability to move any bit of plastic is. Um, height comes in mainly as the length of your lower leg, which becomes really interesting in how you leverage it. If you just picture someone with a really short tibia, their lower leg is super short, cuff comes up really high, the amount of leverage they get over that boot versus someone in the same boot with a way longer leg is going to be different. Uh, so one of the things that I think gets lost in boot fitting, you used to see it a lot more a long time ago and not as much anymore, though there's still a few of us who really like it, is adding plates at the cuff of the boot for people with long legs to compensate for that extra length of cuff that doesn't come with the boot. Um, in boot manufacturing, it's pretty well known that there are no half sizes, but 27.0 is the same as a 27.5. One of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that the cuffs uh, even go beyond that, and each cuff that gets built for a boot is usually built for two sizes. The size 26.0 boot has the same cuff as a size 27.5 boot. So even though you've got a two centimeter range in sizes that you can get within that boot, they've actually got the same height of cuff. So making sure that we're matching the front of the cuff to the person is going to be a really big part of things as well. And it's not something we need to do for everyone, but for a lot of people, it can be a bit of what they call a game changer when you can get more leverage, more even pressure up the same percentage of your lower leg as someone who's a little bit shorter than you. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. And I mean, maybe just speak a bit more too to like that really short, stout, strong skier who equally needs the 130 flex boot as someone who's, you know, much taller and kind of how you think about that. Oh, totally. Um, and that can come to just how great, like your own strength, how easily you move around within the boot. Uh, sometimes just your ski style and how aggressively you do ski. Uh, sometimes calf size just in affecting how tightly the cuff of that boot needs to be closed to hold you properly uh, can all be different factors. It's worth noting as well that uh, I find ski boots nowadays compared to 15 years ago are just softer across the board. Um, so I don't think someone who is short but stout should be afraid of a 130 just because they might not be really tall. Um, every model, as we said, is different. So we just stick someone in every boot and see what happens. Um, if I can go off on a little bit of a tangent here as well, just in the way that different people are able to flex boots and how they stand within boots. Um, calf size is another one that I think gets often overlooked as we talk about the ankle range of motion. A lot of people get really hung up on forward lean numbers. So this boot is 12 degrees forward. Well, when you start looking at people's anatomy, we know lots of feet, folks with huge calves. We know lots of folks with really skinny calves. In whatever range of size people have, the tibia, that bone at the front of your leg, always kind of remains in the same spot, but the calf grows bigger out the back. So if I have someone with a super skinny calf, they're just bone, no muscle at all. They, and I stick them in a ski boot that is 12 degrees upright, then they're going to stand at about, say, 12 degrees and stay even with the ski boot. If we have that really skinny leg and start adding more and more mass to the back of it, we're going to start pushing that knee further forward. So as we start pushing it further forward, and I say I need 
whatever, 18 degrees range of motion in order to activate this boot properly, well, then maybe I've actually already eaten up five degrees of my range just by having this calf muscle that needs to fit inside of there. So that's where having boots that are a little bit more upright starts us from a position that we can bend further forward from. Yeah, that makes total sense. And um, I think we'll just draw on that this point a bit more is you just, you know, you kind of do this equation with someone. It's like, okay, if they have this amount of ankle dorsiflexion, you can measure that. Um, and they're in, you know, this uh, angle of a boot, you know, what what is it going to take to activate this boot and actually make it so that they can be active in this boot? Um, so you're not just, you know, sitting with a completely rigid joint inside that boot and there's no place for that person to move. Um, and the calf point is huge on this because, you know, some people might um, be completely in a different position in that more upright boot than someone with a smaller calf. So I think that's a really important point to hit on. And to that point, I mean, besides putting them in a more upright boot, um, what what other ways might you think about that scenario as far as that that large calf and being able to still get them in the right position? Uh, so looking at cuff size and positioning would be huge ones, making sure that they're fitting within that, depending on the shape of their calf, making sure when they close the boot, they're still getting pretty even coverage, that they're not suddenly pinching the top of it, that we don't need to flare it out. Um, basically making sure that they're starting from somewhere that is athletic, and they've got somewhere to go within that sport that they're doing. Now, if we've got someone that's got a limited range of motion, or a really extreme range of motion, someone that is hypermobile, uh, sometimes what we're going to do is just stiffen up the flex of the boot as much as we can. Either if you're not very mobile, to get the most energy out of the mobility that you do have, or if you're hypermobile, uh, trying to contain that so you're not going to max out where the boot can go and come to the limit of it, but bring you within a range that's usable for it. Yeah, I think this is a huge point um, and one that you know, we talked about why ankle mobility is important in a ski boot and why we need to, you know, really account for that during the fitting process. But that to also think about how um, to support that anatomy within the proper boot flex. And for people on either extreme of that spectrum, what Bryn is saying is that a stiffer, more supportive environment is going to be better in both cases. Um, so that makes sense. And I think you put that really well. Um, but that's why, you know, when people are like, what factors should I be thinking about with boot flex? It's like, well, ankle joint range of motion is still going to be one of the biggest ones. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really difficult in a world where more people than we boot fitters care to admit uh, are going online and trying to guess what they need based on the numbers that they see. At the end of the day, someone for me needs to come into a boot shop, needs to make sure that their ankle can bend properly and needs to put on a boot and see what happens. And that is a big one as boot fitters of what we're doing. Let's just stick you in the boot and then watch how it flexes. Yeah. So um, just draw on that point a bit more. I mean, you are looking at people in ski boots all day long, obviously in a controlled environment, you're in the shop. Um, what are you, I mean, what are you looking for? I think, uh, you know, there's a lot to be said as far as like, body position, balance. But what are the things like if you are looking at someone who's potentially in a boot that's way too stiff, what might you be seeing versus someone who's in a boot that's too soft? A big part of it is going to be listening to the person, hearing what their experience has been and what is happening for them. 
Um, are they getting shinbang? Are they hitting their toes? Do they really hate moguls, even though they really like skiing aggressively? Um, and um, as boot fitters, it's really easy if you see dozens and dozens and dozens of people a day uh, to start fitting them all exactly the same, going, oh, this is how a boot needs to fit. There you go, off on your way. And uh, a lot of boot fitters fall into the trap of not understanding that the skier in front of them is an individual. So listening to them and their experience, understanding the unique person that that skier is and fitting according to the person in front of you and not according to this metric of how boots should fit is number one. Uh, then st standing them in the boot, um, understanding how different types of plastic are going to get affected differently at temperature is going to be another one. Um, we've all had boots that seem uh, pretty soft on certain days and pretty stiff on certain days. Then comes spring and they're really noodly because it's warm. As things get colder, that plastic starts stiffening up. Uh, so as boot fitters, we're keeping an eye on what kind of plastic that is, how much we think it's going to stiffen when things get cold and what their average scenario of skiing is going to look like. I'm watching them flex into a boot. If I'm watching them flex into the boot, making sure that the boot's staying flat or is supported. Uh, most boots nowadays have a grip lock sole, so making sure they're not just rocking onto their toe when they're trying to bend their ankle, but putting them in a situation where they can actually activate the boot. And then I'm watching the energy that comes back up, seeing that they've got rebound, that they're not just hinging a stiff boot, but they're actually flexing a boot. And we often draw a distinction between those. Are you getting the energy back from it, or are you just doing all of the work? And in the case of like that boot that's too soft, um, that generally will feel like a lot of work for the skier. Um, maybe just like excess quad. Oh, totally. Uh, burn and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And being, I'd say, more scared to go fast would be a big part of it. Um, when things are chopped up or bumpy, having something that you can't drive forward as well, uh, having something that you feel like you're getting bounced around and you can't control. Having trouble with certain skis would be another part of it. If I've got a boot that's really soft and easy to move around in, but then a ski that's incredibly demanding and makes wants to be driven and worked, but the boot doesn't have the strength to work that ski, then I'm going to have a more difficult time. Yeah. And I mean, really, all of this is to help people think about why like landing in that right realm for boot flex is very important and how you can get there with a good boot fitter. Um, but for someone who is maybe in, let's just talk through like the options, right? Like, let's say someone is in a boot that's too soft. Where do you go from there? I mean, is the only answer for them to get a new boot? And if that is the only answer, I mean, that's okay. But I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on options for dealing with a boot that's too soft. Oh, totally. So number one would be a product that we make and sell. Um, the Pulse ProFlex that a lot of people all over the world were really proud have now seen this product. Um, it's awesome. We've got another shipment coming from China uh, right away that hopefully we see in the next month. Um, and it's great. Uh, most of the strength of a two-piece boot comes through the spine of the boot, as we've said. So the ProFlex originally got designed for walk-mode boots to help deal with this. You can't get the strength through the spine that you normally would. So what the ProFlex is, is this extra tongue that gets mounted externally. It gets mounted underneath your instep buckle, or I'd say it gets mounted where that typically would be on a boot. Now that we've got certain cable options, we've needed to place and mount it a little bit differently than we used to sometimes. This still works great. Um, we're adding extra strength to the boot from in front of the ankle. 
We're only attaching it at one point for you ski tourers, so you know that when you walk, it still moves out of the way when you walk, and you still get the same range of motion, uh, but adding extra strength to the boot from the front, and that's our ProFlex. Uh, so that's the number one quick and dirtiest way, and we made that for touring boots, but we actually have, uh, when we opened up our shop in Banff, we had a few of the race coaches come in uh, because they had kids that they wanted to try stiffening up the boots for. Uh, so in Banff, there's actually a decent ski racer demographic that's starting to get our ProFlex tongues as well to stiffen up there. Or when it comes time to spring, we get a lot of like ski instructors and patrollers who are like, my boots are way too soft now, but you throw on a ProFlex and then it skis more like it's kind of 10 degrees colder than it actually is outside. And then is there, um, well, I mean, and we might be speaking more to Band-Aid solutions now at this point, and also like maybe would be wary of like having people invest a bunch of money into a boot that's too soft. Like, oh, do you really need to like get a liner that's going to stiffen the setup or should you just get an all new boot that's a better flex rating for you? Um, but is there any other things you want to mention? I mean, as far as like power straps or sort of like short term solutions to deal with this problem? Yeah. As you mentioned, uh, certain liners can change the way that a boot flexes as well and stiffen things up. Uh, sometimes adding extra bolts in the back to connect the clog to the spine a little bit better. Um, we've had a fair number of people who are in walk mode boots who aren't ready to get uh, an alpine boot, but need to bridge the gap and they find they aren't actually using their walk mode. Uh, where we will fix the cuff to the clog and stiffen it up that way. There are things like that that can work. Having a proper power strap to connect you as effectively as possible to the spine of the boot would be another way. Um, not necessarily to stiffen the the boot, although like often it does, but just to connect you more to the flex of that boot and get better rebound out of it. And then I think we'll talk also as far as options for softening a boot. And I think I'm just going to position this with the caveat that it's really important to address your ankle joint range of motion before you assume that a boot is too stiff for you. Because I have seen on like countless occasions where it was more just that someone couldn't really get into the flex of that boot because they were limited in their ankle joint range of motion. And then once you account for that, maybe the boot is an okay flex. Um, so I'm just going to put that out there so that people don't like go make irreversible changes to their boot shell before they've kind of addressed the foundation. Um, but Bryn, what are your thoughts as far as softening a boot that is too stiff? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that you touched on that because a lot of these modifications are not necessarily reversible. Um, I would add to that checking out the fit of your boot or if you're unsure, checking it out with a boot fitter or trying on comparable boots in a softer flex or a different fit. Even if you're not ready to buy a new boot, I don't think it hurts to try on a different model just to see what the difference is and to understand what it is that you are trying to accomplish. Now, as we look at boots and we're looking at where the strength of and all the flow of energy goes down the spine and in the sides, uh, we start getting options of taking away some of that strength. So for instance, the classic Alpine boot that has two or three bolts in the back, taking up that upper, taking out uh, the upper bolts of it are just going to be less connection through the spine is going to soften it up. Uh, you can also start making grooves in the clog. So for instance, where that walk mode is used to be the mo one of the most popular spots to put a V-cut in or a little horseshoe shape in. 
And all you're doing is taking away some of the strength where the spine connects to uh, the spine of the cuff. Uh, you'll also see that above the ankle pivots, where we start bringing those down a little bit. Um, if you ever start doing this as well, to me it's really important to have a caliper and kind of mark exactly where you're removing materials. Uh, every once in a while I've seen someone come in with something that they've blindly just started either taking a Dremel or a knife and removing material. And if you're going to go down this road, I'd say you want to do it as evenly and as measured as you can. You know, and maybe you're, say you go down this route of making V-cuts above uh, the pivot points. Uh, I'll draw out a little horseshoe shape, maybe go down a centimeter or so, or whatever, like a third of an inch if you're using Fahrenheit. I don't know how your measurements work as well, but just doing it incrementally, little bits at a time. Yep. And um, obviously, listeners now can understand why we're saying it's irreversible because you can't really go about <laughs> re-affixing any sort of plastic once it's been completely dremeled away. Um, so yeah, that's I think that's good. Uh, just gives people sort of thoughts on maybe routes they can take for softening or stiffening with a lot of caveats and also keeping in mind that um, maybe these are like the short term solutions before you get in that next more appropriately fitting and uh, appropriate flex a boot for your given level. And I think one more thing we'll just touch on with boot flex is um, maybe just talking a bit about the subjective elements, because I know that's a part of it, too. And that just comes down to like skier preference and skier style. Like we've all seen those people that are kind of outliers as far as the type of boot they like. You know, maybe they like a really soft three piece, um, three buckle boot and they ski away that would potentially have us thinking they are in, you know, a really stiff uh, two piece boot. And so there's just some of those caveats there. And so how do you bring in this like sort of subjective element to it as well? A lot of it's going to be talking to people about where they're coming from and how they like to ski. Uh, sometimes if you just chat about them about what kind of ski they have, that can be a big indicator in the way that they like to use their equipment. Um, you know, maybe they've got some super soft noodly pow ski that they're using every day. Uh, has a really soft tip, really soft tail. Maybe it's even stiff under the center, but they're just kind of standing in the middle of their boots. They still need a lot of stiffness laterally, edge to edge, but they don't necessarily need to drive the same power into their tips as they would with a stiffer boot. Um, often people with a park background who do lots of spins, who need to easily find the balance as they're going down rails and things like that, might like something that's a bit softer that they can be a little bit more mobile in. Uh, someone who's coming from a background where they're more aggressive, where they're driving their tips, maybe they used to race, uh, they come in with uh, carving ski, or for us, we don't see a lot of super skinny skis, but I'd say they come in with something like a Nordica Enforcer, like some super ski that you need to drive. Then we start understanding that we want a boot that allows them to get the most out of that ski because they're more forward, because they're driving their power from their shin straight to the tip of that ski. They want a boot that's able to do that for them. Yeah, I think that gives us something to think about as far as like skiing style and how that also impacts what boot flex might work best for someone or just what type of boot um, in regard to flex as well. And so, Bryn, now, I mean, I know we have some stuff to talk about as far as pulse and I want to get into that. Let's just have you maybe in one uh, sort of elevator pitch or some sort of way of summing this all up, how to think about boot flex. What what are your last words on that? I don't know. My last words would be to think about it. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of issues that come from a boot not flexing properly. Most often, we see a lot of issues from people who are unable to flex their boot properly. 
Uh, sometimes we see a lot of like muscle soreness uh, outside their legs and stuff, having to work really hard because the boot is not working hard for them. Um, try it on, stick stuff on your feet, and ultimately see a boot fitter or just a friend, like a really good instructor will have a, will be able to take a look at how your boot is moving and sometimes even assess on snow and say, hey, I think you need something a little bit stiffer or you don't look like you have footbeds because you're moving in a really weird way. Usually they'll say, go see a boot fitter. But I guess I'm biased because I think people should just see a boot fitter and talk to us and let's try to help you out. I would second that. And I think that's great. I mean, especially just that we've kind of given people that foundation and why um, like certain things that you might not be factoring in like ankle joint range of motion are such a huge factor when it comes to being in the right ski boot flex. And really the only way to kind of sort this all out is working with someone. So thanks for that, Bryn. Uh, Go see Bryn at Pulse. (laughs) And on that note, let's talk about Pulse. Um, As far as some of the new developments, I know you guys have been working with a new liner and I would just love to hear how the season's been going and um, some of the new Pulse tech that's out there. For sure. So the liner is a big, new, exciting one. Uh, the bit quick pitch to throw in there is just to remember that we're not just in Revelstoke anymore. Uh, we've got Pulse in Revelstoke. We've got Pulse in Banff. We've teamed up with a bike and ski shop called Little Ed's in Collingwood. And we're really pleased that they've invited us into a corner of their store. So now you can get Pulse boot fitting inside of Little Ed's, which is pretty awesome. Uh, they're a great bunch of people. And you should go chat with them as well if you're on the East. Uh, we're really lucky because the lab's part in Pulse means that if we see a deficiency in the industry, then we can figure out a way around it. So the ProFlex that I talked about earlier is one of those. Um, our stretching tools are far none the best that I've ever used and the least likely to cause other issues uh, with boots. Uh, the injected liner that we have now is a really excited one, though. Um, it's the third generation of Pulse Boot Lab liner. And a lot of what we're trying to accomplish is making it as consistent as possible, making it as comfortable as possible, and still giving the same performance that we've always seen. So we've changed up our tongue design. That would be number one. We've got a tongue that I think is foaming better and more consistently than it has in the past. We've decided to go a little bit more on the comfort side with everything and added a little bit of wool inside of the toe box. Uh, we changed the color of it because we did green for years, so now we've got orange straps on it, so that's kind of fun. Um, and we've changed the toe box as well. Um, a lot of the seams in injected liners start happening near your first and fifth metatarsal heads. Uh, what we've actually done is moved the neoprene toe box so that the end of it sits just behind those met heads. So we can still have the same hold through most of your foot, uh, but we're going to make sure that we're not pressing or adding extra busy materials in that area, uh, which makes it easier to work with things after the fact than it has ever been in the past. And there's always been tons you can do. You can even modify an injected liner after the fact pretty well, but we're making it so that basically you have a better experience right off the bat. And for the folks that do have issues, we're making it pretty easy to work through those issues as well. That's awesome. And um, for people who maybe weren't familiar with the fact that Pulse has been doing these foam injected aftermarket liners for some time now, um, do you just want to speak a bit more uh, as far as what that type of liner offers and why someone might gravitate towards that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the in a nutshell explanation, 
is that the stock liner that comes with your boot has two jobs. It's to keep, one of the jobs is to keep you warm and comfortable, and the other job is to sell that boot. And if it's going to feel good enough in the shop that thousands of different feet want to buy the same boot, it's going to be a really generic shape, and it's going to be quite soft materials that accommodate lots of people well. Uh, it's going to break in very quickly, which also means that it's going to pack out quickly. Your foot inside that boot is going to compress those materials and create more and more space very fast. Um, in the past and currently, a lot of folks try to accommodate for this by adding extra material to the liners. Maybe they're adding J-bars, maybe they're putting material in front of the ankle bones, maybe they're shimming. Maybe they're inappropriately adding heel lifts because they're pretty convinced that's a way to deal with it, even though for me, heel lifts have a very different application, as we talked about earlier. And they start trying to customize this liner that exists and was built for the masses and try to make it individual. An injected liner basically says, okay, here's your foot stabilized on a footbed with a good foundation. Here's the shell around it to fit properly. Let's just take that space that exists and fill it with expanding polyurethane foam. We're going to match that space with exactly the shape that's in there. We're going to support your foot the best. It's going to be the most comfortable because it's the shape of your foot. And because we're able to use more dense materials, it's going to last six or seven or ten times as long as that stock liner as well. You're going to have a better fit and a more consistent fit throughout the lifespan of that entire boot. You're going to ski better because you're more supported and you're more connected to your equipment. You're going to feel more of what's going on underneath you in the snow. Um, and we just want to make your skiing experience better. Uh, my line for people that I think I said a little bit earlier is that at the end of the day, you're strapping two pieces of wood to your feet and sliding around on snow. And that had better be fun or like, why the heck would you do that? So let's make that experience as great as we can. Nice. Yeah. And I think you've summed it up well. We have definitely spoken to here at Blister about the importance of liners and why liners are often the overlooked aspect of the boot fitting equation. And I think it's really cool that, you know, Pulse has this proprietary technology and has been able to do so much. Um, like you said, you have a lab. There's certain gaps in the market and you're working to fill those gaps. And that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Sweet. Well, is there any other updates on the Pulse side or anything we should keep in mind um, as we wrap up here today? No, I think those are the big ones for us. We've got a few things that we're constantly updating. We've been changing our, our app to give us and our fitters more tools to, to work with to be able to assess and help people better. Um, we've been integrating more and more between all of our shops because uh, one of our biggest goals is that anyone that you talk to impulse um, if you go in and chat with myself one day and then the next day you've taken a drive you're in banff and you go chat with like tom or dave or jesse or whoever you're getting a pulse experience and fit and we want to make sure that that's the best we want to make sure that's consistent so that you keep going back to us and you know what to expect um so our awesome. tools help us to do that and to and deliver the best experience that we can. Awesome, Bryn. Well, and I know uh, there's a few other Pulse Gear 30 episodes out there for people who want to learn more or hear more about all the different technology. Um, you can definitely check those episodes out. I will link them in the show notes. 
Um, and I also know there's been quite a few Blister Plus members that have come through Pulse this year and have been really excited about their experience. So we appreciate the good work you guys do. And I also really appreciate you taking this conversation on with me about Bootflex and kind of walking through all the different pieces. Um, it's definitely an important conversation for the broader industry. So thank you so much. No worries. Thank you. All right, folks. Well, that wraps up this edition of Gear 30. Hopefully today's episode provided some new information about how to think about your own ski boot flex equation and why it's important. And for this latest edition of Crashes and Close Calls, I'll share a brief but personal story of a good reminder I had out on the mountain a couple of weeks ago. That came from having someone crash into me from above in a pretty consequential area of the mountain. So a snowboarder fell above me, unseen to me, tumbled backwards over some rocks, and then crashed into me with a bit of speed. His board hit me pretty hard on my arm, but thankfully I was totally okay. All this said, sometimes the biggest risks we face out there are from other people, and it's an important reminder to always pay attention, look above you, and just watch out for everyone else out there. Thanks so much to Brandon for joining me on this episode. Thanks, of course, to our talented producer, Justin Bob, for producing this episode. And thanks also to all of you for tuning in. We will talk to you all again real soon. Thanks, everybody. Cheers.